church. Wow. Um, growing up, I know I don't know about your family, but my family had rules, especially at the dinner table. Like my mom would have probably been born right around, probably just after the Great Depression, and maybe that's where this stemmed from. But one of the rules at the Gannon household growing up was this, clean your plate, right? But mom, what if I, what if I don't like what's on my Clean your plate. It doesn't matter what you like. Clean your plate. My mom was ruthless about it. Anybody have that rule growing up? You clean your plate. You clean your plate. I'm like, we eat fried chicken. I'm like, my mom's like, Monty, clean your plate. I'm like, mom, that's a chicken bone. Monty, you chewed up good enough. You'll be fine, you know? I'm like, Come on! It's, she was hardcore about it. Like my mom, my wife uh, realized this a few years ago when we had my wife over for Thanksgiving. It was like nothing I'd ever seen before. And I grew up with my, my, my mom. We had Thanksgiving dinner. I carved the turkey, you know, so I got to do that. We ate Thanksgiving dinner and then all of a sudden my mom went over to the turkey and spent the next two hours carving it more. She had a, she, and literally two hours, she carved every, I and mean, there was not a piece of meat left on that turkey and and she gets done and i'm like wow mom that is impressive you have that's i mean i miss some spots i see and uh and then she looked at me and she said and she pointed to the turkey like carcass and she goes well, what are you gonna do with this and i said well we we generally throw those in the garbage but uh what are you thinking mom she goes well we don't throw that away she said i'll take it if you're not going to use it i said use it and she shoves it in a grocery sack and gonna take it home and i'm like what are you doing she goes oh i'm gonna go home and make turkey carcass soup and i'm like what Remember that? Turkey carcass. Does that sound attractive to you? I said, Mom, you know what? You can make that. You don't need to invite me over. I'm good. We're, we're good. We'll, you can tell me about it. I don't need to eat that. I mean, I, I, there's some foods I don't like. That I've never tried that, but that would be one of them. But speaking of foods you don't like, how many here you can think of at least one food that you will not eat? You, you'd rather die than eat this food. Let's have some fun. So on the count of three, just say that food out loud all together. One, two, three. Okay, I could not understand a word any of you just said there. That was confusing, but I'll tell you mine. Pancakes. I don't eat pancakes. It's kind of weird, isn't it? It's not like broccoli or, or, or liver. I don't, pancakes. And I don't think it's because of the taste. I think it's because of past trauma. Let me explain. You know the rule at our house? Well, my aunt had the same rule. So as a kid, we went to my aunt's house. And my aunt made pancakes the size of a Mack truck tire. Like, they, they're, how do you have a pan big enough or a skillet or an, I don't get it. And I remember looking down at this pancake, probably seven years old, and it's just all spongy and sloppy. And I'm like, and my mom's like, you're going to finish your plate. I'm like, mom, I'm not eating this. She said, well, you're going to sit there a while. I said, fine. It was like a Mexican standoff. It was. And I, I, I don't know why I said Mexican stand-up. It's just more, it's just more yeah, thrilling that way. Plus, it's Cinco de Mayo, so let's just throw that in there. Um, it was a standoff. And I'll be honest, I cannot remember how that ended. I don't remember. Like, I think, I, I, I think God had me black out just to save some trauma. I don't know. I don't know if I ate it. I don't know if I fed it to a dog. I don't know if I, like, passed out in it and they found me an hour later. I don't know. Do not know how it ended. I just know that I wasn't going to eat it. I remember thinking to myself, this is, su this is, su this is abuse. Like, this is wrong. This is injustice. You would make me sit for hours on end to stare at like this SpongeBob round cake. I don't know. It's just disgusting. And I could, ugh. And I remember just that. It makes me sick almost just telling you the story. That's how bad it is. I mean, I, the counseling's expensive. I'll tell you that right now. Um, but uh, so <laughs> injustice, I remember thinking, this is a travesty. Well, it's funny I say that because <laughs> though I thought I was being tortured in the moment, the reality is, we're in a series called Why Is This Happening, which I was asking myself that question. But the bigger question is, we ask questions all the time about why would this, why would, and we ask God, God, why is this happening? 
And today we're asking a question about injustice, about suffering, about this isn't fair. And the question is, God, why is there such suffering and injustice in the world? And, and you, might, you might think to yourself, well, yeah, the world's messed up. I see the news. I mean, we've got school shootings. We've got, I mean, politics. It's all messed up. So, yeah, there's injustice going on. But what, what I want to help us understand here in, in where we live, God doesn't look down. This might shock you. When God looks down, he doesn't just see Omaha. I know it's crazy. He doesn't just see Nebraska. Though I did, I did just re recently re realize that Jesus is a Huskers fan. Did you know that? I didn't know. I didn't know. But, but the more I read God's, you like that? The more I read God's word, like all, all, all his letters are in red, right? I'm like, oh, yeah, GBR, right? And if you don't know what GBR means, there's the door. I'm just kidding. So uh, um, I'm, I'm trying to wrap around the Huskers. I'm getting new to this thing. So, uh, but what was I saying? Oh, yeah, um, injustice in the world. So God doesn't just look at Nebraska. God doesn't just look at America. But God so loved the what? The world. So we have to step back for a second and say, okay, it's bigger than where we're at, right? We got problems in America. We got problems in our household. I know I do. But, but let's see what, what picture God looks at. So to help us understand, I did research for us today and said, okay, if there's such suffering and injustice in this world, and we're asking God this question, what specifically is this true suffering and injustice? Here are some stats I found. The world's about 8 billion people that live on the planet. Half the world, 4 billion people, live in a household with an income below $2.50 a day. That's telling. Two bucks, two and a half bucks a day is what the average household lives on. Like, like, and we're like, I'm going to die if I don't get my Starbucks, right? Oh my gosh, my caramel latte cappuccino with the caramel drizzle. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Starbucks. We don't call it Starbucks. I call it six bucks. That's how much a drink is going to cost you. But they don't get Starbucks. $2.50. There are 2.1 billion people, that's about a quarter now of the world, who don't have clean, safe water. What? They don't have clean, safe water. And this convicted me when I saw this, you guys, because I've realized I'm a water snob. Jody shakes her head. Mm -hmm. The reason she does that, my wife, is because I remember, and this has happened more than once, but I'm like, Jody, bring me, can you bring me a glass of water? I'll be doing something. And she'll bring me a glass of water. But one time she bought it really quick, and I'm like, wow, that was quick. And I said, where'd you, where'd you get this water from? And she said, oh, I got it from the bathroom sink. I said, nope. And I said, nope, I'm not drinking toilet water. She said, it's not toilet water. It's from the bathroom sink. I said, nope. Nope, I said, I'm drink I'll drink it from the filter water out of the fridge or a bottled water. So, and she said, well, okay, this is the water I'm bringing you. And if you want that water, you know where to find it. I mean, suffering and injustice I put up with. I mean, can you believe that? That's what she told me. I'm not, I'm not lying. So, but that, honestly, that's what I said. So, you know what's sad about that statement? Is what, what the water's contaminated with, for the most part, for, for the 2.1 billion? Feces. It's what it's contaminated with. So let's keep going. 385 million children, so 20% of the world's kids today, live in extreme poverty. Extreme poverty. And if it's, if it's, not, if it's not hitting you yet, these last two, I know will. Each day, 7,000 newborns die worldwide. Every day. 7,000. Okay. Pause for a second and just take that in. Every day. For God so loved the world. Every day, 7,000 newborns die. In 2017, 5.4 million children died before reaching their fifth birthday. Mostly from preventable, preventable diseases. Do you know what that translates into? 15,000 kids dying every day. Five and under. 
15,000 a day. I, I'm looking at that stat, and it's almost, un, I mean, it's like, it's so, it's so out there, I almost can't even take it in. Like, we know 9-11 was a tragedy, right? 9-11, that changed our country, it changed the way we travel, it changed the way we live. We lost 3,000 people approximately on that day, and it was horrible. And think of how that changed us. That was one day, 3,000. 15,005 and under. I, so, so we're looking at the world. And the thing about the countries that I'm, I'm talking about, these countries that are marginalized, here's the thing. It isn't just food and water. When you're that crippled already, when you're that weak already, you're, you're, you're compromised. And you're vulnerable to so many other things like drug trafficking, human trafficking, terrorist camps, all these things that go down. Child prostitution. You know where they're running really rampant? In the countries where they're living in poverty. Because they're already susceptible. They're already um, vulnerable, if you will. They're even vulnerable. Check this out. They're even vo more vulnerable to, like, nature. This is going to seem weird to you. Even nature, the people that live in poverty, it's so much worse. I'll give you an example. In 2010, remember the earthquake that hit Haiti? Game changer. I mean, brutal. 7.0 earthquake brutalized that country. 223,000 people died from that earthquake. Okay, again, these, these stats are so outlandish, it's almost like I can't absorb it. 223,000 died in, in Haiti. The same magnitude earthquake that same year hit Chile and New Zealand. In Chile, 500 people died. In New Zealand, zero. What I'm trying to show us together today is that when you're that vulnerable and that weak, everything is magnified. Everything is personified. So God, I'm, I got a question, God. When I hear stats like this, I'm thinking, what in the world? Why are we allow, why are you allowing such poverty, suffering, and injustice? And God says, you want answers, where do we go in this church? We go to God's word. So we're gonna go to God's word and see what he says. So in the book of Matthew, let's go to Matthew 25. If you brought a Bible or a mobile device, go to Matthew 25, verse 31. If you don't have a Bible, we want to give you one. We love giving them out. They're awesome. It'll change your life, I promise. I love when you bring your Bibles. I love when you highlight. I love when you underline. I love when you open up your, your phone and get in it. I love it, love it, love it. It'll change your life. Never thought it changed my life. Number one way I've changed, reading God's word. Let me set it up. Jesus Christ is speaking. These are letters in red, and, and he's, he's, he's giving prophecy. What he's speaking to you and I today has not happened yet, but it's going to. Jesus is talking about a final judgment that's coming when he comes back. Jesus has come once. He's going to come one more time. When he comes again, the Bible says he's going to judge. There's going to be a judgment. And Jesus is telling us about his judgment. By the way, everything Jesus has prophesied so far has come true. So there's a really good chance, like 100%, what I'm going to read to you is going to happen. So we always want to know what's the future hold. I'm about to read it to you. This is what Jesus is preaching. He says in Matthew 25, 31, But when the Son of Man, Jesus, comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. That will be a majestic day for some. All the nations say all. Wow, so he's talking about the entire world. All the nations will be gathered in his presence. He will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on the right 
and the goats on the left. Okay, I'm tracking so far. Then the king, that's Jesus, will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. Say you. From the creation of the world, it was prepared for you. That's key. For I, Jesus, was hungry. You fed me. I was thirsty. You gave me drink. I was a stranger. You invited me in. I was naked. You gave me clothes. And I was sick. You cared for me. I was in prison. And you visited me. And they're kind of shocked. They're like, the righteous people said, what? Lord, when did we ever see you hungry? When did we ever feed you? When did we ever give you water? When did we ever see you as a stranger and bring you in? When did we ever see you, Jesus, naked and clothe you? When did we ever see you in prison or sick and visit you? And the king, Jesus, will say, I tell you the truth. Jesus has a habit of doing that. When you, when you did it to the least of my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Act two. Then Jesus turns to the goats, the ones on the left. Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry. You didn't feed me. I was thirsty. You didn't give me drink. I was a stranger. You didn't invite me in. Naked, you didn't give me clothing. Sick, you didn't come visit me. In prison, you didn't do the same. Then they will reply, same thing. What? Well, hold on, Jesus. When did, when did we see you naked? When did we see you in prison? When did we see you hungry? When did we see all these things? And he will answer, I tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you are refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous, the ones on the right, they will go away into eternal life. So I, I, I read that and I think, hold on a second, pastor. Wait, wait, wait. So you're saying, I mean, you're talking eternity, heaven and hell type stuff here. So you're saying that, I mean, the people that are doing these things and helping the people that are the, the least of these, they're going to heaven because of that. And the others who don't do it, they're going to hell. Wait a second. I thought we were saved by God's grace. I thought it was God's grace through our faith. When we believe in Jesus, we're saved. I'm confused. It's almost like Jesus, you're saying in, the, in your prophecy, it's like you're switching it up. Now you're saying, we need to do these things. We need to help these people. We need to take care for these people. Then we get to go to heaven. What about being saved by your grace through faith? I, I'm confused, Jesus. I'm just asking a question. And I think Jesus would say, you know what? It, it's not your good works that save you, but when you're truly saved by faith, your good wor works will come. Does this make sense? So, so Jesus is telling them the byproduct of your faith, if it's genuine, because there is a false faith. Make no mistake, Jesus talks about it in his word quite a few places. There is a false faith where many will believe, and Jesus is going to tell them, turn from me, I never knew you. And they will be shocked, I guarantee you. There will be a lot of people in heaven that will be shocked to see, and a lot of people in hell, again, that we would be shocked to see. It's, so, so it's, let's go back to this. We're not saved by good works. But when you're truly saved, you're going to do good works. Brings us to our main point. Check it out. Faith that doesn't lead to action is no faith at all. Okay? I'll say it again. Faith that does not lead to action, does not lead to loving, especially the least of these, 
is no faith at all. That's, that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. And here's what gets me. Remember when he said to the, um, to the, to the, the goats, the ones that were cursed, the ones that weren't helping anybody, and they were shocked. They're like, well, Jesus, when did we ever see you that way? And Jesus said, well, I'll tell you the truth. When you, when you didn't do it to them, you didn't do it to me. Okay, I kind of get that. They were, they were like, oh, my gosh. We're, we're, they're shocked. But what's weird about the scripture that I read to you, notice the righteous ones were also shocked. They said the same thing. And they were doing God's will. But they were also shocked, remember? Remember they said, Jesus is like, good for you, you're righteous. Enter into your king, enter into the kingdom that I prepared for you. And they're like, what? Wait a second, Jesus. When did we, uh, when was it? You, and, you know what, you know what, why that gets me so much? The righteous ones weren't doing it because, oh, we know it's Jesus. We know this is the right thing to do. Oh, someone's watching. Someone's looking at me, so I'm going to do. They were just doing it because they, the faith of the Lord was in them. It was who they were. It wasn't what, what they did. It was just who they were. Sometimes, depending on our audience, we can maybe act different. Okay? I'm guilty. I'm your pastor, and I can be a hypocrite. Just being honest. Like, there were days. My family and I don't travel to church together anymore because I go really early, and they go later. But when we would travel to church together, okay, I'm just being vulnerable. Like, sometimes we would fight in the car on the way to church. Now, I know none of you can relate to that. That's all foreign to you. I get it. But, but just my family, right? So we're fighting, like, like we're throwing stuff and chucking whatever and yelling and screaming, just out of control, WWF, Royal Rumble, 47 going on in the car. We pull in the church parking lot, we get out of the car, we're like, hey, how y'all doing? Oh, yeah. You're blessed? I'm blessed. How are you? Oh, I'm blessed. Oh, Jesus, God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. Yeah, we're walking the car, we're all blessed, talking about how blessed, kids are behind saying, blessed? You just tried to kill me. I'm like, yeah, and you're blessed, you're still alive, aren't you? I mean... Put it in perspective. But, but they didn't, they had no idea. Neither group knew, like, we're serving Jesus when we serve this little guy over here that needs help. They had no clue. I love that the righteous didn't know it. They weren't doing it because it's the right thing to do. They were doing it because they had been changed by Jesus Christ. See, when Jesus Christ has changed you, it will change how you live. It might not happen immediately. But I promise you, you cannot grow closer to Jesus and not change. That is impossible. So if your life hasn't changed over the last year and you haven't grown closer to Jesus and it, and it hasn't represented or manifested itself in action, it's very likely that your faith isn't faith at all. So, okay, let's keep going. James is a brother of Jesus. I want to quote you what James says in his, in, in his book that he wrote in the Bible called James. Go figure. It says this. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith? Now, this was me, church, most of my life. I have faith. I believe in Jesus all my life. It's like James is writing to me on this day. You, I would say I had faith in Jesus. I would say it all. But, Monty, what good is it when you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? In other words, your life really doesn't look a lot like different than anybody else in the world. Can that kind of faith save anyone? The scripture says, Suppose you see a brother or sister who needs food or clothing. Okay, wow, this sounds familiar. Suppose you see a brother or sister that needs food or clothing, and you say, hey, goodbye, have a great day, and you wish them well, but then you give them nothing? You, you, don't, you don't give them food? You don't give them clothing? What good is that? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Whoa! So our faith isn't enough to save us? 
what, what, what the scripture is saying is, if your faith hasn't changed you, your faith hasn't saved you. Okay, faith is enough, but when true faith, when Jesus Christ enters you, when you have the Holy Spirit's power, in, it changes you. It will, you will start to want to live differently. The Spirit, uh, so good. God is so good. His greatest commandment is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. So if we're really loving God like that, here's the cool thing. The byproduct is the second greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. You don't even have to focus on caring for the least of these when Jesus is in you because you're going to automatically care for the least of these. You may not always get it right. You're still selfish. You still got crap in you. I do too. We're still working ourselves out. But, but it's, go it's going to... Loving God and connecting to him changes this. When this is fractured, you and Jesus, this out here is fractured, you and this. When this is connected by faith through God's grace, it, the least of these, all of a sudden, you're loving them in a supernatural way. Loving God always leads to practical and compassionate action towards others. It always leads to compassionate action and compassion towards others. And the more I study the book or the, the life of Jesus, the more I see that this man, he gravitated to the least of these. Like he went after the poor. He went after the weak. He went after the compromised. He went after the disillusioned, the downtrodden. That's who he would hang out with. And you know what he always did? He always took care of their needs first. I love that about Jesus. He could have just met him right away and said, oh my gosh, you're starving to death, but let me tell you about the kingdom. No, he always fed him. Let me feed you. Let me take care of you. We can learn something from Jesus when it comes to how we witness and love a world that desperately needs him. Rather than just shoving the Bible down, scriptures down someone's throat or just maybe inviting them without even knowing them, get to know them, love them, take them out, hear their story, let them know they matter to you. Then all of a sudden you have an ability to speak into their life. Jesus loved the least of these. And you know who he loved the most, I think? Kids. Children. Remember, there's a time in scripture when, when Jesus' Instagram, like, profile was blowing up. Like, he was viral. It was nuts. And he had a follower, and people were coming to see him, and the disciples were like, no, man, stay away, you know? Go see Kim Kardashian. She's over there, but this is Jesus over here. And they're fighting him off. And, and the kids, they're fighting off the kids. And Jesus said, knock it off. He said, let the kids come to me. Let them come. Jesus loved kids so much. And we can learn so much. That's why at our church, if you're new, if you don't know this, our kids' ministry at Meadows Church is our most important ministry, and it always will be. See, we just believe, we're crazy enough to believe that if we point these kids to Jesus and help them fall in love with Jesus in the church, they'll change the world. Just believe it with all my heart. So we pour a lot into our kids' ministry because the more I study Jesus, he poured a lot into children. He, they, they were, they were second-class citizens back in his day. Not to him. Not to him. They, they matter they mattered big time to Jesus. So this is just what I see when I look at scripture. So as we look at this and we look at kids, I had no idea. Those stats I read to you earlier, I had no idea. I mean, I knew, I know there's Africa and these terrible, I know there's some stuff going on, but I had no, the gravity. And can I just be vulnerable and tell you, I don't think I knew because it wasn't in front of me. It's like out of sight, out of mind, right? Okay, yeah, 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 I get there's, stuff going on in the world. I get there's starving kids. I understand that and I empathize with it. But I'm not there, I'm here. Okay, we got our own issues, right? So, so I, I'm not denying it. I'm just, it just wasn't tangible. But what if it was? Like, wouldn't that be nuts? Like, what if while we're sitting here learning about Jesus, 
One of those 20 plus thousand children that are going to die today if they don't get help today were taken and picking up and, and laid in front of your doorstep at your home or your apartment or wherever you live. And after you're done with church and you're done going out to eat and having a good time, you get home and there they are laying on your door. Here's what I already know about you. Even if I don't know you, you would do whatever it takes to make sure that kid is taken care of. Your entire Sunday would change. Everything about it would change. It would. I already know that about you. You would do whatever it takes to make sure that ch child is fed. You would take them in and you would love them and you would give them a drink of water. You would make sure that they are clothed and they're healthy. You would make sure they go to the uh, acute care and they get looked over by a doctor. You would do whatever it takes. They would become priority number one. I, I remember the day that the Lord would lay Ariel, a little boy from Ecuador, on my doorstep. It, it was a game changer for our family. Jody and I, I was new in my faith, drug addiction to, I mean, if Jesus can change my life, I'm telling you, I don't know where you're at in your world. My gosh, if he can change a guy like me, I'm telling you, there's incredible hope for you. Incredible. So I'm trying to get more of Jesus in me. We, Jody and I, my wife, go to this concert. And during the concert, they have a person come and talk about stats like I gave you. Oh, kids, and they're hurting and blah, blah, blah. And I, I remember thinking, okay, that's a bad deal. But I, I don't know. I was just kind of whatever. And they played a video. And the video is what did it. There was a scene in the video, and I'm like, oh. And it, just, it was just like a gut blow. And I was like, it, it, sometimes we think we want God to speak to us. We want God to show us a sign. God, give me my will. Show me my purpose in life. What is my next step? God, do I take the job or don't? You know what? You pray to God. You get around godly people that love you and love God more than you. I promise God will reveal things in your life and, and, and you don't have to go looking for it. You don't have to find it. It ain't going to be hidden under a lamp. It's not going to be somewhere hidden. It no, there's no hide and seek involved. God's spirit will move. I think it's moving all the time, and we get signs all the time. That was a sign right there. Like, God, God took a two-by-four crank right over me, right over my wife, and we're like, okay, we are going to, yes, Ariel, we'll take him. And we took Ariel, and we started sponsoring him, but it was contagious because it, after we started doing that and we wrote this kid letters and we got pictures of him, we're like, oh, if we can do, it was 38 bucks a month. I'm like, 38 bucks a month. I, you know, I, I wouldn't say that I'm, wealthy but let's face it we live in a great country and 38 bucks a month for most of us if we if that went missing every month it wouldn't impact our um way of living too much would it i don't think so I'm, i know it wouldn't for me so i'm like okay if we can do ariel let's do one more so we start, start start sponsoring obed from ghana africa so we have these two kids and we're sponsoring them and they're writing letters and we're writing letters and they're sending us their little pictures and and most recently, we, we sponsored two years ago, um, Martha. Here's a picture of Martha. She is from Tanzania, Africa. And she's our most recent sponsee. And uh, so Martha, she writes us letters. And this has changed my kids probably more than me, maybe Jody and I. Our kids, to wrap around these kids and know their birthdays and know their names and write them letters, it is, it is, it is Jesus in, in action. I don't know how else to say it. So Martha, we have these pictures on our fridge. I call them our fridge kids, right? They're, they're our fridge kids. We put them on the fridge. And I'll tell our kids all the time. I'm like, Ava, Ava starts talking back. Because I'm like, my kids will talk a little smack once in a while. I don't know about yours. Yours are probably perfect. I get it, whatever. So, um, but mine will talk back a little bit sometimes. And I'll be like, Ava, why can't you be more like Martha, our fridge kid? Huh? Look at her. She's, look at her. She don't talk back. She's always worse. She's all, you know, she just looks so nice. And uh, Ava, she doesn't like when I do that. So anyway, um, but Martha... Obed and Ariel, they've changed our life. And we got involved, and I, um, how can I say this? 
the reason I fell in love with Compassion, which is this, this organization, is it wasn't just about food for a day, though it is that. It wasn't ju about just getting clean water, though it is that. It wasn't about just giving them clothing, though it is that. It was about pointing them to Jesus Christ first and foremost. So what they did to Martha and Obed and Ariel, they connected them to a local church through our sponsorship. By the way, 38 bucks a month for them, probably about double their income. Now, now I know for me, it's probably just a blink of an eye. For them, someone walk up to you and double your income, it's going to change your life, I promise you. Okay? We need to put things in perspective. What doesn't mean a whole lot to us means everything to them. It's life or death for them. So, so we give them that and we start to get these stories and these letters and God is doing something supernatural. And I'm learning more about the, the, the organization about how it's Christ-centered and how it's not just food or, or water or clothing, but how it takes care of the family and how it points them to Jesus, connects them to a church, uh, gives them educational material for school, connects them to a school. It's crazy. Connects them to a medical facility to get medical checkups now. All the things it will do to radically change a family. It is like, it's like Publishers Clearinghouse. Ed McMahon shows up at the door. That's what it's like when they get sponsored. It is a game changer. I couldn't believe it. So people will ask me sometimes, we're a church plant, by the way. We're pretty new, 18 months old if you're new. God is doing incredible things. And people will say, when are we going to do mission trips? And I have nothing against mission trips. I've never even been on one. I hear they're incredible. But I, but I start to think about them sometimes. And I hear, sometimes I hear stories, oh, we went there for a week and it was great and God did this and that. But then I talk to some of the families at the, uh, of the people that when they go there, and you didn't make that big of an impact. You might have built something. But, uh, and I'm not saying they're not valuable. I'm not saying we'd never do them. I am just saying this church is about relationships. First and foremost, it is the center of who we are. People matter. It's one of our core values. And, and I just don't know if a week away, and again, I'm not, nothing, I'm not bashing it. I'm just saying I just don't know if you can really build a relationship in a week. I get you could build a house. I get you could, you know, put in a, a well. And those are valuable. And those are needed. But, but, but to me, I'm just me. Relationships are key. And if I can wrap around a family, not just for a week or a month, but years through a child's upbringing, and love them, and have a relationship with them, and teach, or teach them, and they teach me, oh my gosh, this is going to change the dynamic of a family. And I'm not just talking about that family. I'm talking about my family. It will, it's changed our family. It is so huge. And I knew that when we planted Meadows Church, we would be a church about sponsoring kids. I already knew it. But guess what? In 18 months, it kind of fell off my radar. Because it, it's, it's nuts. Church planning, it's, my gosh. Unless God calls you to do it, don't ever do it. It will kill you. Okay? Jeez. Um, I fought God for, well, I want to get into that. But is, is it worth it? My gosh. I'm looking at people right now. You bet it's worth it. You matter to God so much. And I'd do it again. But I'm just here to tell you, it's all hands on deck. So I kind of, it was on the back radar. And a month ago, Emily, a, a young woman from our church, comes up to me in the Welcome Center. Hey, pastor, I'm sponsoring a kid from Compassion. I'm loving it. There, there's a Sunday where they're doing a thing, and you think we could put it before the congregation. And immediately, Remember how I said God's not going to hide his will from you, his direction from you? You don't have to go searching for it. You pray about it. He'll show it to you. Trust me. Sometimes we don't like the answer. That's why we keep looking. And we'll keep asking until we get the answer that we want because it's easier. You know? I'm, that's, how, that's how I've been. And Emily, as soon as she said that, and I gave her the proper pastoral answer. I said, Emily, let me pray about it because that's how I'm a pastor and that's what I do. But I'm telling you, I didn't have to pray about it too long. I knew as soon as she asked me, we're doing it. 
and, and she's owned it. I haven't done much. She's like, I'll call him. I'll get packed. I'll do that. I'm like, she's, she's on fire. I love it. But, but I started to realize real quick why she was so on fire. So I sit down with Emily a couple weeks ago and I meet with her. I'm like, how's it going? And we're gearing up. And she pulls out um, her child that she sponsors, Glendy. Here's a picture of Glendy. And Emily pulls out her, her, a picture of her and she starts talking, not about this event so much, or not about church, but about Emily and about the relationship that they're building. And I'm listening, and she's, she's, she's talking about how it's impacting her and how she got to send her money uh, for her birthday. And, and, and how, it's, again, it's changing Emily, probably more than Glendy. But she, but she pulls out a letter that, that Glendy sent her. And listen to this letter. This is nuts. Dear Emily, this is from Glendy. I greet you in the name of Jesus. Thank you for the letter and the money. Listen to what she bought. Well, you're already looking at it. Shoes. Not a game. Not tickets. Not jeans. Just shoes. Just a necessity. And she's so proud of her white, sparkling shoes. I got shoes. I want to tell you that I learned Bible verses. Oh, okay, so we're not just giving you shoes, but you're also learning about God. I want to tell you I'm learning Bible verses. And then she quotes one. One where, by the way, Meadows Church got its name, Psalm 23. She says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. That's what she wrote. What? Glendy, you live in a, you live in a region of the world where you lack everything. You lack nothing. You have nothing. You're, you're excited about a pair of shoes. My kid has 15 of them. My wife, I'm not going to tell you how many she has. Holy cow, you are excited about what? You lack nothing? Why is it that it seems like, I, I don't know how to put it. I, I think the, the richest people in the world aren't those that have the most. They're not. The richest people in the world are those that need the least. That's, I, the more I look at stories like this, the more I, the more I believe that. I lack nothing. Teach us, Glendy. Teach us what it's like to be like Jesus. I want to learn more from you. She continues, and I'm going to ask Emily about this because she's asked Emily. She goes, Emily, did you read all the Bible? And I'm going to be like, Emily, did you tell that girl you're going to read the whole Bible? That's a big commitment. I'm going to call you out on that. Did you read the Bible? The whole Bible. That's a, that's a tall order. Um, then she says, please pray for me and my grandpa to be in love with, the, in, in love with God. I love you, and say goodbye with a hug. Short letter. How much, how much she says in that letter blows me away. You lack nothing. We would say in our country, in my, and I would say in my checkbook, in my life, in my calendar, I'm always complaining about things I lack. You hold up a pair of brand new shoes that you got for a birthday gift, and you can boldly declare you lack nothing. I want to be more like you. I think the scene that did it for me, if I had to pick one, is uh, that little boy that was bending down in that river, that sewage, and he took that, um, looked like a Gatorade bottle, like a drinking bottle. Kids by three. Picks his bottle up and he's walking with it, and as he's walking away, he's looking at it, I'm thinking, you're not going to drink that. But I think that's exactly what he's going to do. And I remember looking at, looking at and thinking, that is, okay, that's not right. Okay, I can't do everything, but I can do something. That's not right. We live in a, in, 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 as far as we've come as a, as a world, 
and that's happening? Okay, it's one thing not to know and not do anything, but it's another thing to know. And I thought, and that, that's, what, that's, what, that's when they laid Ariel on our doorstep, and that changed it for me. So I'll take us back to the original question, God, that we have for you. Because this isn't about us. I mean, we want to know what you're saying. Why? Why, what we just watched and what we're hearing about, why are you allowing that? Like, why are you allowing suffering and injustice in the world that we live in today when you can do something about it? I'm scared to ask God that question because I'm afraid he'd turn around and look right at me and say, that's exactly what I'm asking you. Why in the world are you allowing suffering and injustice when you can do something about it? The question wasn't for God all along. It was for us. See, God is calling us, his church, who I would claim is the hope of the world with Christ at the center. But does it really matter what we claim if we're not going to back it up? I can get up here all day long and give motivational speeches, but I'm, I really don't, at the end of the day, motivation that doesn't lead to action really doesn't matter. Say, I don't want to be this church that's about hearing about the love of Jesus, though I love him, or learning about the love of Jesus. What if we were to show the love of Jesus? There comes a time when we need to stop talking and start walking. We've got to stop just declaring and start demonstrating because at the end of the day, I think the world is sick and tired of just hearing about the love of Jesus. I think they want to see it. I think they want, to show, want us to show it. I want to be that church that will show it. God, I can't do everything, but I can do something. And I will. We are your church. My wife and I, when we sponsored our third and we're sponsoring another one. I don't, I'm not just going to preach it to you. I'm doing it. I'm telling you. But my wife is no longer allowed on the Compassion International website. Because she, it's, it's out of, I mean, she couldn't, it, for, for her it was too overwhelming. Like when we went to sponsor Martha, we, 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 we went and we were looking. And she's, and Jody's like, well, what about this one? And we hadn't got past the first page. What about that one? And what about that one? I'm like, Jody, are you going to get a part-time job? Okay, I mean, we, I said, we can't do it all. And she walked away. She couldn't. She goes, you guys pick. She couldn't. It was too much. And you might feel that way, but I want to tell you, it, you, you don't have to do it all. I, I, I wrote down, if I can find it, don't fail to do something just because you can't do everything. Don't fail to do something because you can't do everything. little boy and his dad walking along the beach. Maybe you've heard the story. It actually just started out with the dad walking along the beach. Huge storm. It hit the, the coastline. Thousands, tens of thousands starfish everywhere lined up. All you can see. And the dad is in despair because the waters receded way past and they're like, there ain't no hope for these guys. They're not going to make it. And he was distraught. Sits down in the sand, puts his hand between his knees, thinking, man, the devastation. And he looks and he sees his son way on the, way on the other side of the beach, of the coast. 
and his son is bending down, picking up, bending down, picking up, bending down, picking up. So he walks over there. It took him 10 minutes to get to his son. He says, son, what are you doing? He said, I I'm saving the starfish. I'm going to save the starfish. And his dad says, are you kidding me? There's, there's thousands of them. You can't say, you can't. You can't make a difference. You can't make a difference. And the son looked at him and looked at him and bent over, grabbed a starfish, picked it up, and threw it in the water. And he said, I just made a difference to that one. And he did. And I wonder what God is saying to us. I can't do it all, God. God says, You're not created to do it all. We could wipe out poverty. Do you know our nation could wipe out poverty? If we if we got about the father's business, and it won't even impact our standard of living hardly at all. This is the, this is. The gospel is so clear. Jesus gave it to us. It's funny. Emily, I told you about Emily. You'll meet her. She's at a table out there. Incredible woman. Thank her for all the work she did. Emily calls me this week. She's like, Monty, we got our packets, the sponsorship packets. I'm like, awesome. This is great. How many did they send us? And she said, 25. I said, 25? What? I said, that's... 25? She said, well, based, they do it based on, they've done this for years, based on the size of the church. They know what they're doing, and that's normal. I said, the first problem is, Meadows is anything but normal. Okay, let's just get that straight first. Okay, we're not, I don't know what's normal for other churches. I don't even care. But 25, don't, don't. So I call, I knew a guy with compassion. I called him. I said, listen, it's Thursday. 25 is not enough. Well, that's standard. They take, I know, I don't care. Don't give me your algebra, okay? I don't even know what math is. So it doesn't matter to me. Speaking Greek. I said, we need more packets. How many you want? I said, I don't, what do you think? And he goes, let me do some checking. And I think he knew from my voice that I was pretty serious, that we wanted to make not just a dent, but a difference. So I get, a, I get an email from his assistant a half hour later. Monty, we have 40 more on the way. So they didn't just double it, but they sent us 40 more in addition to 25. And I'm still thinking to myself, that's probably not enough. That's probably not enough. Oh, by the way, if they would have sent us just 25 and left it at that, I wouldn't have anything to give you. Nine o'clock service took care of all that. You can give God some praise for that because that's pretty awesome. Unbelievable what God is doing. When the church will get about the Father's business and be the church, faith that does not lead to action is no faith at all. At the end of the day, church, can I say something to you? It is not what you believe that really matters. It's what you believe enough to do that matters. Just, just... This is what God is calling us to do. We are a church that is, no, we're not called to make a dent. God is building this church and he's not going to stop. But we're not going to be a church that just sits and takes. We're not going to be a church that will very clearly hear from the word of God, from our King, our Lord and Savior. And he says it like it is. You take care of the least of these. You take care of the ones that no one else is taking care of. You take care of my children. Because you say you love me, you show them you love me. And we will be that church. So this is what I'm going to ask. Ushers have packets in the back. And I, I'm, and maybe you're not even in a place where you can do this. I get it. you got to do whatever God is telling you to do. But I know there's people in this church. By the way, I told you, I'm taking another child today. I will do my part. I'll do everything I can. We get one shot in life to make an impact in our world. One shot. So I'm going to count to three. On the count of three, if God is leading you to sponsor a child, and my dream is that every family would, would sponsor a child. That's my dream. 
we, we, could, we could change our nation, change our world. But on the count of three, if God is leading you to sponsor one child, I need you on the count of three to just shoot your hand in the air and you declare it and we will give God glory and we will celebrate with you because the church isn't called just to sit, the church is called to go and save. Seek and save those who are lost. Feed them, water them, take care of them, clothe them, and love them like Jesus. So here we go. One, two, three. Shoot your hand up in the air, yes. Praise God. Give God, put your hands together. I need to hear somebody in this place. Keep your hand up. Do me a favor, keep your hand up until they, keep your hand up. That's right, I just saw it, that was good. That was good, I like that. That's Jesus Christ moving. I, uh, we got, can you give God another shout of glory? He's so good to us, he's so good to us. God, thank you so much. Hand is still up right here. Hand is still up right there. A hand is still up right there. A hand is still up right there. I am so proud of this church. I am so proud of this church. On this rock I will build my church, he said. And the gates of hell will not prevail. I love you, Father. Let me close by saying one quick thing. I know it's a little late. Gosh, the pastor in this place is long-winded. Got a problem. But, you know, it's so good. God is so good. Here we go. Let's close it out. Do you remember the scripture I read to you earlier, the main scripture? Do you remember something in there? Remember when Jesus said, check this out. Are you listening? When Jesus said, sheep, the ones who are doing it right, go to a place I have prepared for you. And he points him into eternity. That is heaven. Do you remember... Check this out. You got to read it when you get home so you know I'm not just making stuff up. When he talked to the goats, when he talked to the ones who were not righteous, the ones who were cursed, and not they did not have faith, they did not show in their eyes. Remember what he said to them? Go to a place prepared for who? The Bible said it was prepared, Jesus said it, prepared for the devil and the demons. That's huge. Jeez, people will ask, why is there hell? Why would God create hell? Why would God send us there? Okay, there's a lot in that question. Number one, I just shared with you a scripture that tells you that, 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 G, that God, Jesus, created hell for the devil and the demons. You were never predestined to go there, trust me. Eternity was created for you. God loves you. He doesn't send anybody to hell. That's why he went to the cross. That's what it's all about. So you get to choose Jesus. You get to choose heaven. It was, it was prepared for the demons and the devil. It always was. But guess what? You go where you follow. Well, I'm following Jesus. Are you? I would have told you I was for 20 years. Nope. Faith did not back it up. Action did not back it up. False faith is what it would have been. I'm just asking you, do you have a faith that has not only saved you, but changed you? This is what the gospel is all about. That Jesus Christ would die on a cross, rise from the dead, defeat sin, defeat death, and when you call on his name, ask him to forgive your sins, repent, turn away from what you're doing, turn to him, he will make you new. And he will change you. And then all of a sudden you have this faith that saves and loves the least of these. This is the difference. For those of you that you're in doubt, if you're in doubt, your next step, give your life to Christ. Commit, recommit, I don't care what you call it, just do it and don't leave here until it's a done deal. I'm gonna pray for you in closing. 
And I just, I, I need you to hear me. God loves you. God loves you. And if you sponsor a child, God doesn't love you anymore. He just loves you. Because his love isn't based on what you do. His love is based on who he is. But he loves you. And his plans for you are good. Father, thank you so much for your word and your truth. Man, why do you allow it, God? That's the question. We found out that that's the question that you have for us. I love to be a part of a church that doesn't just talk about it. We're doing something about it. God, enter into the hearts of your people. For those that need to make whatever decision it is, maybe it's baptism, maybe it's committing their life to you, maybe it's just praying with the prayer team about a hurt in their heart, and maybe it's going out to the table afterwards and just grabbing a packet because you're still moving in their heart. God, whatever it is, we will give you glory. We will give you praise. We love you. We thank you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody says...